Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. I try to pick an Advent slash Christmas book during the season to remind us of the incarnation of Jesus, his coming to us in human form. Emmanuel, God with us. And this year, while trying to think of what book to share, my mind naturally went to Elizabeth Gooch. Of her books I've read, she always includes a chapter on the Christmas season, and there is such celebration and festivity in these scenes that reminds us of the glory of the first coming of Christ. I have one of Elizabeth Gooch's books on my shelf, though, that is completely a Christmas book. She did more than one Christmas book, but this is the only one on my shelf. It is called Sister of the Angels. It's a sequel of sort to the book I shared last year, City of Bells, and includes many of the characters from that book, it being an Advent and Christmas book, and one I hadn't read, I decided to read it for the podcast. So I plucked it off the shelf in our old curio cabinet that holds my collection of Elizabeth Gooch books and settled myself down over a course of nights to read the continuing story of Henrietta and her friends and relations in the cathedral town of Torminster. Sister of the Angels is a slim book, more of a novella than a full-length novel. In the cathedral town of Torminster, the Christmas season is fast approaching. Little Henrietta is excited for her father's visit at her adopted grandparents' home. Henrietta's grandfather is the canon at Torminster Cathedral. On the morning of her father's arrival, Henrietta accompanies her grandfather to the cathedral with flowers to decorate it. She persuades her grandfather to let her decorate the crypt of a former monk of the cathedral, a man named Nicholas de Malden, a painter who created a beautiful fresco of the second coming of Christ, left unfinished after his death from leprosy. Over the years, the fresco fell into disrepair, and it wasn't until Henrietta's grandfather discovered the crypt that it was repaired to its former glory. Years ago, Canon Fordyce, Henrietta's grandfather, hired a man to restore the fresco. Unfortunately, the man was imprisoned later for an unrelated forgery, much to her adopted grandfather's heartbreak. Alone in the crypt, Henrietta envisions her secret heart's desire to see the fresco finished with a picture of the first coming of Christ. And later that day, this time accompanied by her father, Henrietta sees a stranger prostrate in grief in the crypt. Who is the mysterious stranger? And what part will he play in the completion of the fresco? Well, I hope you will read this delightful Christmas story to find out. Now, fair warning, there may be some spoilers as I get into the heart of the story. So if you would prefer to wait until you've read the book, pause here and come back to the episode when you've finished it. It may be a little bit hard to find here, but you can find it at Girls Gone By Publishing. Before I get into the heart of the story, I'm going to introduce some of the characters. So I mentioned beginning Henrietta. Henrietta is 11 years old and she is a budding artist. She is a 
winsome, delightful character. You will fall in love with her. She is also in City of Bells and another book, Henrietta's House, which I have and I have not read. So I'm excited to get to that after reading this one. Next, we have Gabriel Ferranti, who, spoiler, so if you have not read City of Bells, fast forward a little bit, he is Henrietta's long lost father. And he is a poet who had gone through a very hard, despairing time in his life in City of Bells. He has reached renown for his poetry now, and he travels the world writing, and he sometimes forgets his daughter, but he loves her dearly, and he comes and visits her at the Fordyces' home whenever he has the chance. Next, we have Canon Fordyce, who is Henrietta's adopted grandfather, and he has a heart of gold. He is always seeking to help those in need and never feels as if he's reached his capacity for sharing Christ's love with others. Then we have Mrs. Fordyce, Henrietta's adopted grandmother. She is a bit more of a curmudgeon, and she is very frugal and is much more measured in giving her affections than Canon Fordyce is. And in spite of that, she's also very loving to Henrietta and Hugh Anthony, who is next, Henrietta's adopted brother. He is a mischief maker and all boy and dearly loved by all in the Fordyce home. Then we have Nicholas de Malden, who I mentioned in the summary. He is a former monk of the cathedral and he was an artist, but he also had a deep heart for a leper community. And he went and served there and ended up contracting leprosy and unfortunately died of it. And that is what led him to the crypt and making the fresco. While he was ill with leprosy, he locked himself away and worked on the crypt until his death. Then finally, we have Nicholas Broadbent, a painter who worked on repairing the fresco. He was later imprisoned for forgery unrelated to the artwork, and he did this in order to help provide for his sister's children. So now that you have met the characters, I will get into a bit of the heart of the story. There is much to enjoy in this charming novella. It starts with a delightful description of a cozy cathedral town in England. Just listen to how Elizabeth Googe sets the scene with introducing the town of Torminster. The cathedral city of Torminster looked very lovely under its mantle of snow. Though it was built in the valley, it seemed suddenly to have become, thought Henrietta, a city in the mountains. The slanting snow-covered roofs, all of different heights and shapes, belonging to houses that had grown up like flowers one by one through the centuries, looked like tumbled mountain slopes. And the cold, keen air was like the rarefied air one breathes high up in the sky. The sun was bright in a dome of blue crystal, and the shadows were violet-tinted, like the shadows in mountain crevices. But the crowning glory was the cathedral itself. It rose up like some great enchanted mountain, its three towers soaring up into the sky as though they did not mean to stop, until they had pierced the crystal dome and come face to face with the rainbow-encircled throne that was built above it. Right away, we are firmly settled in a time and place, as in all Elizabeth Googe novels. And then there are the characters who will enchant you and pull at your heart, the type of book friends you will want to revisit over the years. But what stands out to me the most at this reading 
was how well Elizabeth Googe weaves in the season of Advent throughout the story, how she makes the longing for redemption through the coming Messiah palpable, and she does it through art and story. Advent is a season of waiting. When we look back at Christ's first coming and look forward to his second coming, now we are in a middle season waiting for the completion of the ages. It is the fresco in the crypt of Nicholas de Malden that shows so viscerally the hope of the sacred season. In a beautiful and frightening scene, Nicholas de Malden shows the judgment seat of Christ when he has finally come in all his glory. And yet, the work of art is incomplete without the first depiction of Jesus' coming, when he came in the flesh to live and move among us, becoming intimately acquainted with our weaknesses and suffering, and restoring our dignity from the fall. It is deep in Henrietta's heart to see the fresco completed. And as Henrietta studies the fresco, she contemplates this thought. It was all so clear to Henrietta. If Nicholas de Malden had painted the second coming upon the other walls, of course he would have painted the first coming upon this one. That, to her, was obvious. Nicholas would not have frightened people by betraying God the just and terrible judge, unless at the same time he had comforted them with a picture of God the child, who himself endured the whole range of human suffering from birth to death. Like Henrietta, we should know that we could never bear the longed-for second coming of Christ unless there was the first coming, when Christ bore the full weight of our sin, suffering and dying on our account. But this was all for the joy of our redemption. And through the story of a small cathedral town and an unfinished fresco, Elizabeth Googe is able to call to remembrance our deep longing and hope for a Savior. Before I move on to the next section, I want to share a quote about the sacred calling of the gift of art. In the story, it is a gift to the church, but through the church, it is also a gift to the world. Elizabeth Googe writes, Undoubtedly, Henrietta was an artist of no mean ability. As her father with his pen and grandfather through the medium of a dedicated life, so she with her pencil could portray the visions that she saw and give them to the world as her gift of gratitude for its nurture and teaching. Or would one day, when her brush and pencil had been trained. And so not only Henrietta, Nicholas de Malden, and Nicholas Broadbent carry the call to share this gift, but we too are charged to use our gifts and talents to the glory of God and the good of the world. Finally, we see in the book, Advent depicted through story. In Sister of the Angels, not only is Henrietta waiting for the fresco to be completed, but her grandfather is waiting for the redemption of his friend, Nicholas Broadbent. This man's story is incomplete. A man he loves and grieves over. Canon Fordyce has held on to hope beyond hope that Nicholas Broadbent will be reformed. He has paid for his legal defense, cared for his nieces and nephews while he was in prison, and pleads with him while he is in prison to come to him when he is released. And yet, it would seem as if all of this is for naught. As you'll see in the next quote, it's talking about Nicholas Broadbent's release from prison. But Nicholas didn't tell him the date of his release. He just walked out of prison and disappeared, and grandfather's heart that had been broken and mended again so many times in the course of his ministry that it was a wonder at his age that it held together at all was broken all over again. In spite of all that the grandfather has done, he is rejected. 
In his friendship with Nicholas Broadbent, he shows the very epitome of Christ-like love, joining in his fellowship of suffering. It would be tragic if the story were to end there, with the fresco unfinished and Nicholas Broadbent alone in the world unredeemed. But this is an Elizabeth Googe novel, and in her hand, no story is beyond redemption, no matter how broken. As Elizabeth Googe writes of Henrietta, she had a feeling that no story ever was over and done with, not unless it came full circle round again and the intention of it was completed, and the chapel of Nicholas de Malden was not completed. And so we are reminded how God completes our story, never abandoning us. He not only starts a good work in us, he stays and sees it through to completion. Towards the end of the book, there is a beautiful description of Henrietta. I want to share it with you now. It's describing Hugh Anthony, but then it goes on to say about Henrietta. Henrietta's radiance was as a lamp that is deliberately lit and carried to the place where the shadows are darkest. Does this not remind you of Christ and how he comes into the darkest places in us and permeates it with his glorious light? I pray that in this dark season of waiting, you will be reminded of the hope that has come and is coming. Perhaps through this little book, God will bring you into a season of contemplation of his deep love for you. There is so much I want to share about this book. I've only brushed the surface, but I also want you to discover it for yourself. And so for those of you who read this book and take it to heart, I hope for an abundance of fruit in your life from it. And finally, in closing, I want to leave you with two quotes from Elizabeth Googe's autobiography, Joy in the Snow. And it's towards the very end of the book. First, she says, But for us, though we believe great sons of God walk the world in every age, only one of them is the supreme Son of God, who fulfills all longing, because he is everything God asks of man, and everything man asks of God. Then she ends her book with a quote from Thomas Trahern, and I'm not familiar with him, but he was a poet, and I wanted to share that quote with you in closing. O God, who by love alone art great and glorious, that art present and livest with us by love alone, grant us likewise by love to attain another self, by love to live in others, and by love to come to our glory, to see and accompany thy love throughout all eternity. I hope you will get a copy of this book for yourself, that you will enjoy it and revel in its delight during this season. Well, that's all for today. I will be back in two weeks with the last episode of the year. I'm hoping to have another Christmas book for you. I still have not decided which one it's going to be. So hopefully, I don't have much time, so hopefully I can narrow it down. In the meantime, if you want to connect, you can email me at beth at a wellbreadlife.com. I love hearing from listeners and hearing suggestions for books. It's so much fun to open my inbox and find an email from a listener. So please do email me. I would love to hear from you. And if I'm slow in responding, I apologize. I have a very active, almost five-year-old. And 
My days are very busy with her. So if I don't respond right away, it is no slight on you. It is just that my lively little girl has taken up all my brain power for the day. You can also find me on Instagram at wellreadbeth. I'm not on there as often, but I do check it occasionally. So if you want to send a DM through there, I would love to hear from you there as well. I hope that you enjoy the Advent season and that you are all snug in your home and that you have lots of good books to keep you company during this time. Until next time.